We're in Romans chapter 7 today. I titled the sermon, The Believer's Battle, but I want to begin with a question today. I want to begin with a question. Does Christian maturity mean thinking less or more about sin? Does a mature Christian think less about the sin in his life or more about the sin in his life? I would put forward today that it is indeed not less, but far more, far more. As much as I would love to say Romans chapter 7 just isn't fun, let's just skip and go to Romans chapter 8, right? Here's what's awaiting us in the very first verse of Romans chapter 8. And oh, how we love this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's next week, okay? But we can't appreciate how true that is until we spend a significant portion of time in Romans chapter 7. It is Romans 7 that makes Romans 8 so spectacular and glorious. And if we cut it short and say, oh, these are hard verses. These are verses that have been argued about a lot. Let's just skip over them. Oh, that inclination is so toxic and wrong. It pulls down the glory of God. Every verse matters. It all counts. So, we are going to that chapter, the most spectacular chapter, many would say, in all of Scripture, We start that next week. But today, we're going to tackle some really challenging verses. And I want to to just put this in our view. The, The Christian life is, and increasingly so, defined by a battle against sin, the sin in your life, that that sin that lingers. Yes, we've been set free, but we have been set free to fight sin. The Puritans are helpful for us in this. I would like to commend to you a book. I don't know if you've uh, ever heard of this before. It's called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions edited by Arthur Bennett. I have a copy out here on the recommended reading shelf. It's spectacular. I found this years and years ago. And I just want to read a, 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 just a, a prayer that comes from this, uh, this book titled, Yet I Sin. Okay, And then we'll get into these, these verses. Eternal Father, you, you are good beyond all thought. But I am vile, wretched, miserable, and blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel and my ways reluctant to amend. Can you identify there? I bring my soul to you. Break it, wound it, bend it, mold it. Unmask to me sin's deformity that I may hate it, abhor it, flee from it. My faculties have been a weapon of revolt against you. As a rebel, I have misused my strength and served the foul adversary of your kingdom. Give me grace to lament my insensitive foolishness. Grant to me to know that the way of transgressors is hard, that evil paths are wretched paths. What a prayer to pray. I have seen the purity and the beauty of your perfect law. Friends, this is Romans 7. This is what it looks like to Romans 7. 
in prayer. The happiness of those in whose heart it reigns, the calm dignity of the walk to which it calls, yet I daily violate and condemn its precepts. Your loving spirit strives within me, brings me scripture warnings, speaks in startling providences, allures by secret whispers, yet often I choose devices and desires to my own hurt. Impiously grieving your spirit. All these sins I mourn and lament and, and for them cry for pardon. Work in me more profound and abiding repentance, O Lord. Give to me the fullness of a godly grief that trembles and fears, yet ever trusts and loves, which is ever powerful and ever confident. Grant that through the tears of my repentance, I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of my Savior's cross. Amen. Now that is a prayer. Prayed by a man who saw his sin and felt the offense and the, he grieved over his sin. That's prayed by a prayer of a man who is saved. Who is at war. A man who's living in Romans 7 while confident of Romans 8. And so we come to this. Freedom fighters, that is what Christians are. We are not fighting for freedom. We are fighting with the implement of freedom. We have the weapon of freedom to fight now against sin. We've been set free to make war on sin in our lives. Where once we were able only to sin, now we are able not to sin. And we are called to, in the power of the Spirit, go to war with the flesh. I remember reading a prayer like this on a men's retreat I did in California. I had two guys come up to me after the session and they said, listen, brother, these are words of condemnation. You, you, you got to move on. They quoted Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You got to lighten up, man. We're forgiven. You're, you're making it sound like we're not forgiven. And my encouragement to them was, Listen to the words of the, listen to the longing. Listen to what is true. The law is good, but I break it. Even as a believer, I sin. And that is not to be ignored. Christian maturity is increasingly aware of that sin, grieving over that sin, and seeking to attack it with everything that you are with the realities of Romans 8. So, the believer's battle. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. The believer's battle. Some of this we addressed in Romans 6. It's not an inconsistent flow that Paul is uh, unfolding for us here. Um, it is a battle that we are all engaged in for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's begin here with the theater of war. And I did something different today. I want to actually jump down and take uh, 20, 21, 22, and 23, and do that first. Because I feel like that equips us to see, kind of in summary form, what these other verses have in view. So let's start in verse 21, the theater of war. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, 
But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You can understand that word uh, that I, I see in my members another law. That's kind of Paul using that purposeful wording, but you can see it to his principle. It's a reality. When I long to obey, I have in me the instinct that comes, the echo of the old man that comes and says, don't obey. He fights against that desire of godliness. So, a few things. Uh, church history is filled with disagreement over these verses. Is Paul still, as he, last week, remember he was talking about when he was unsaved and how the law uh, basically ruined him, right? The law put him to death. The law stirred up and energized rebellion in him. That was before Christ. Now you have a tense change. This is present day Paul. This is the Paul who's been preaching and planting churches for 20 plus years. And he's saying, this is true of me today. This is the Paul that is alive in Christ, I believe. Church history is filled with those who would say that no, Paul is still talking about before he was saved. I wholeheartedly disagree. I just I, I see so many reasons in these verses to show a man who loves the law. Look, it's, it's, it's not a rejection of the law. He's not saying this law is my ruin now. He's saying this law is my delight. I love it. I want to obey. But the will and the action are at war. What I want to do, I don't always do. And what I don't want to do, I do. But then... The answer of verse 25, the first part of verse 25 also, I think, makes it very clear. This is a man who is saved. Just like the man who prayed that prayer at the beginning, Paul here is, is grieving over sin in his life and targeting it with all his might. I want to do right, for I delight in the law in my inner being. This is, this is the longing of a man who's saved. This is someone who sounds like a believer, right? In their, in their heart, I'm trusting Christ. I love the law. But I don't, I don't always obey it as I ought. Is there any Christian in the room here who can say that they identify with that, right? I mean, that, that, is, that was this week. That was, in, for some of us, that was this morning. Like on the way to church. Oh. Hmm. A rebel heart made new. A new love for God's law. That's what's happening in these verses. Paul is saying, I commend the law. It is good. It's beautiful. But I am not still. In the way of your testimonies. You know that, that Psalm 119 is the Roman 7 of the Old Testament? It's so beautiful. I got just locked in on Psalm 119 all week long. Love these verses. If you haven't read Psalm 119 as a devotion, just take it and work your way through it in one week. Spectacular. Listen to the heart of the psalmist. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as in all riches. I will meditate, I will spend time, focus on, rehearse, read, and think over your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That is what believers have in them, a fire, a hunger 
for the Word of God, the truth of God, the beauty of that truth. We don't open our Bibles and, and cringe and run away. No, we say, bring it on, Lord. We trust this book. We love this book. Open my eyes to behold the wonderful things in your law. We are those who seek to embrace God's Word, seek to more than just know it, but seek to obey it. And yet, we sin. Yet we sin. The world will sometimes seek to use this as leverage. Oh, you Christians, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. You say that you love these things, but you don't practice them. And here, here's what I would say to that. Hypocrisy is falsity. To say you love the law, let, yet you choose to live in the dark, is not to love the law. That is a, a mask, a facade. That is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not saying, I want to obey, Lord. Oh, I want to obey. And then you fail to obey perfectly. Daily. And when you fail to obey, what do you say? Oh, it's no big deal. It's not a big deal. No. Hypocrites say that. Authentic Christians who love God and seek to obey will say of that, oh, I grieve over that. I hate that sin. I seek to call it what it is and put it to death. I want to obey all the more. Help me obey, oh God. Every Christian will have sin in their life every day. The question is, are we those who want to look for it, find it, and put it to death? Or are we going to just quote Romans 8.1 and skip over the work of Romans 7? The new me is set against the old me. I am new in Christ. I'm a new creation. The deepest thing about me is no longer sin. It's the righteousness of Jesus. At the base level of identity, the deepest, truest reality, you are in Christ, believer. You are not who you were, but who you were seeks to crawl out of the grave and grab your ankle and drag you back down into that old way of thinking, that instinct, that impulse. It is so automatic. It requires a reworking of all things. A transformation of the mind. A transformation of the impulse. It is the testimony of the greatest saints in history, R.C. Sproul says, that the longer they are Christians, the more deeply immersed they become in the Word of God and the more acutely conscious they become of their shortcomings. I want to be more specific than he was. Sins. Let's just be clear. Don't give fair names to foul sins. If it's sin, call it sin, right? We are more aware as we are in the Word of God, as we walk closer with Him, and He shines that light in our lives. We are more aware of our sin. As we grow in grace, we grow in our understanding of our ongoing need for the grace of God. We live by grace every day. Hmm. I could say it this way. Christian, you are a far worse sinner than you ever realized. That is not to deny the fact you are forgiven. 
That is because of that fact. You have eyes to see it now. You have a heart that is set against it. Inclinations, increasingly desires to go after it and and be who you are, right? That's the call of sanctification. Be who you are in Christ now. You're new. So live that out. Hmm. Paul gives in Romans 7, the second half here, a series of laments over sin. He's grieving what he sees when he looks inside, when he looks at some of these impulses in his life. This is is the Apostle Paul. And I just want to say, there is a strange comfort in hearing these words from Paul. I mean, you think of this man, his ministry, his refinement over all of these years. He has walked with God in ways that none of us ever will, in, in, in direct, just being an, an agent of, of revelation, the work of God, the church planning ministry, spectacular works this man has done. This is long into his Christian life. And he's writing that. Sometimes we get discouraged and we think, man, I am a failure as a Christian. I'm just like, oh, I thought I would be more holy by now, more righteous and pure and and obedient, more inclined to these things. And I don't like what I see. Be encouraged. You're not alone. You're not alone. Maturity sounds that way. Christian maturity sounds increasingly so. I see it. I detest it. And I want to go after it more. The immature tend to be the ones that say, I don't really, I'm not that bad of a guy. Like, I mean, I, I know he's my savior, but I don't really know like, what he really actually had to save me from. You know what I mean? That, I mean, that, that's not seeing things for the way they are. This is reality. This is, this is maturity. Ongoing transformation required. That's the theme song of the Christian life. That's the beginning of the day. And friend, that is the end of the day. Praise God for Romans 8.1. But we live a lot of our life in Romans 7. Progressive sanctification. This is not perfect sanctification. It is progressing in sanctification. We are growing in His grace. Growing in obedience. Seeking increasingly to be obedient from the heart, but knowing that we are not perfectly obedient from the heart. Battling for holiness. Let me be so clear right here. I just want to say this. We are not giving license to sin by acknowledging it is present in the Christian life. Don't feel a sense of comfort because now you're comparing yourself to other Christians and saying, well, we're all sinners. I guess I can let up on the gas a little bit, just coast a little bit. No, no, no. This is mash the gas pedal down. Go after Christ. Fight for holiness. That's what Paul is writing this to to do in our lives. So the frustration of the battle, these, these griefs that he shares, these laments, listen to verses 14 through 20 here, the frustration of the battle. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, Paul says, am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. 
For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So, it is, uh, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Wow. For the thing, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now you can see why, you can see why these are some difficult verses. Does anyone else have a few like, wait a second, what? Did he? He said, that? These are difficult verses to sort through. And figure out. So let me point a few things out that he has just said here that will help clarify some of what I think is happening. Um, first of all, he begins with a statement that the law is spiritual. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that the law is spiritual? It means that it is perfect. He's affirming the goodness of the law. It is divinely bestowed and given. It shows the beauty of God. It establishes the bar of morality and rightness and truth. That is what the law is. And then in contrast to that, Paul's saying, I'm of the flesh. I am human, weak, fallible, flawed, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Right? That, that's the constant awareness of the believer. I am not yet there. The law establishes the bar of righteousness. I am not righteous. Not in the way that I live this out. I have the righteousness of Christ. I am made new in my inner being, but the expressions of that in my day-to-day -day life are inconsistent with the standard of the law. Do you see why it's so important, Christian, that you are in the Bible? That you read the Word of God? That it woo your heart to love what is good and Call you out of the dark into the light, increasingly so, till the day you die or until the Lord returns. This is our work. This, it's, we, never, we never just progress past this. It's an uphill climb every day. Lord, open my eyes. Change my mind. Equip my heart to love what is the set standard here of your law. So he says it two different ways in these passages. I don't want to sin, yet I sin. And I want to obey. There's good that I do want to do, but I don't do it. And I sin. Hmm. Things in your life, Christian, that you see and you say, no, that's, that's, that's not what I want. That's dark. That's, that's before Christ stuff. That's dead and gone. Right? That, that's old me. That pattern of sin that response in that moment just oh that fiery anger that wells up no that's I, I see it and I'm saying I don't want that and then literally 20 minutes later as you're driving and someone cuts you off there it is that's what's happening and then the flip side I want to obey oh lord I want to be patient I want to be kind. I, I want to be gentle. See, th that's the flip side of that. Someone cuts you off. Oh, it, there it is. 
The opposite of all those things. You don't do what you want to do. You do do what you don't want to do. Hmm. The battle. That's, that's the conflict. What it looks like. And it's so frustrating, isn't it? So frustrating. It's humbling. It's a humbling reminder that we are not yet there. I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now, if he would have put a period there, we'd have a problem, wouldn't we? Nothing good dwells in me. I would be like, Paul, or I'll be the guy in the back row. Um, Paul, are you sure the Holy Spirit dwells in you? If you're a believer, he dwells in you. you you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So then he adds, that is in my flesh. That's, my, that's that echo, that that. That old man that would seek to crawl. There's nothing good there. I want him buried, dead and gone, in the grave, down. Nothing good that comes when he crawls out and starts pulling me down into that pattern of, of sin that I used to love and live for. Nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Sin is so wretched and powerful that even in a redeemed person, John MacArthur says, it hangs on and contaminates his living and frustrates his inner desire to obey the will of God. That's the frustration of this battle. Frustrating when you fall, when you, when you fail, when you just let go and, and, and you just have an outburst. And catch it. In that moment, what will you do? Christian? Gospel. Gospel in that moment. You run to the cross. You, you call that what it is. It's offensive. It's wrong. It's sinful. I hate it. I hate it. Lord, thank you for the provision of Jesus Christ. He forgave me of all of my sins, past, present, and future. This too, this hideous sin has been paid for. Thank you, Jesus Christ. I repent of it. I lay it at your feet. I turn in repentance from that inclination and I want to obey. I choose life. Help me obey. Help me. Give me grace. And strengthen me. I don't want that anymore. The more seriously a Christian strives to live from grace and submit to the discipline of the gospel, the more sensitive he becomes to the fact that even his very best acts and activities are disfigured by the egotism which is still powerful within him and no less evil because it is often more subtly disguised than formally. Cranfield says, isn't it amazing? You do something, say, uh, that, that, that is the good that you want to do, and, and, and you're like, oh, I did it. I did it. Good job. And in that moment, pride jumps in. It steals it away. And you say, oh, oh it's so close. It was right there. I was succeeding i was celebrating your grace lord thank you for your help to obey and then pride sneaks in and says yeah you're pretty impressive aren't you why don't you hold some of that glory that is god's alone to hold that's what he's talking about pride one of the most toxic sins in the christian life it 
It, it, it wears camouflage. Sin will camouflage itself, especially for the Christian, right? Sin will come in and, and, and sound all sanctified. There's a book um, called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. It is spectacular. Read it and you will experience levels of conviction you never knew possible. It's so good. We did it as a, as a Bible study a few years ago. Sin will come in and say, oh, this is pretty sanctified, right? And, and all of a sudden you stare at it and you realize, wait a second. You're just wearing camouflage. That's sin. I don't want that. Mm. The Christian life requires assessment. Search your heart. Lord, search my heart. Reveal to me. Show me. Is there sin that is hiding? Even sin that would, would make itself look sanctified. The Holy Word of God will unmask sin. It will, it will be the, 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 what do you call that when you can see in the dark? The night vision, right? The, the infrared, you can see all of a sudden. Camouflage doesn't stand a chance against the Word of God. It's the light that reveals all of the darkness, everything that's out of place. And the Holy Spirit of God that is in you, Christian, will use the Word of God to shed light on your path and show you what is good and what needs to be addressed. This is his gift. Embrace conviction. Embrace the guilt that the Spirit of God lands upon your heart. It is different than condemnation. Guilt is good. It is a good gift of God. Especially for the Christian whose heart is longing to obey. That guilt is saying there's something amiss here. Something that's not in line. And the Spirit of God is at work in that moment saying there's work to be done. More on that next week. How can a young man keep his way pure? Listen, young men and young women and everyone else. How can a believer keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Look at the connection. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up, memorized, meditated, logged away your word, not just in my mind, in my heart. Because I don't want to sin against you, God. That's what Christians say. I don't want to sin against you. What do you do then? Go to the Word. Have the Spirit work with His Word and land the glory of God in your heart. Change your mind. Equip you with greater desire for obedience than for disobedience. Paul says, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And at first glance, you can be like, sweet. That's like the perfect answer. Well, I mean, I didn't want to do it. It's not my fault. It really works well with our victim thing that we've got going in our culture. It wasn't my fault. I mean, it's not like I wanted to do that. It's sin's fault. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, what is sin? Where, like, where is that? It's my sin's fault. I'm the perpetrator still. Paul is not suggesting that he is just, you know, off the hook here. The new I. Look at how it reads. It is no longer emphasis here. I. 
This is what I think he's doing. The truest me, the new me, it is no longer I, the one whose roots run deep into the righteousness of Christ. That's who I am now. But when I sin, that's the old man. That's the old man. And I don't want him leading my life any longer. No excuses. I chose this sin. I am responsible. But let's be clear, at the level of identity, this is not who I am any longer. It's who I was. And that instinct is there. Yes, those propensities, those impulses have to be dealt with. When God does such a radical change in a person's life, rarely is it just cold turkey everything changes. Now, my grandfather, amazing story. He was a, a poor kid in Macon, Georgia, and uh, had a foul mouth. His dad was a drunk. He would drive him home at like eight years old. He would go and, and get his dad out of the bar and drive him home. It was horrible. And the gospel got a hold of my grandfather. And overnight, he stopped chewing tobacco he stopped cussing it was a radical change but that began a process of transformation that lasted a lifetime and i witnessed in my own grandfather's life moments of horrific fury and sin where he failed miserably but oh the beauty of god's work in a man who could have said well hey i'm just a victim my dad was a total loser total drunk. I have all these reasons to be who I am. No, not for the Christian. Who I was. That's who I was. I am new in Christ. I have a brand new identity. This is who I am. I'm a saint. And I'm seeking to be that every day by the grace of God. Progressively so. Leaving and loathing. You catch in these verses it's not enough to just try to sin less. It's that you want to hate your sin more. Okay, so maybe put, put it in this way. The, the Christian has an aim to a decreasing frequency of sin. Absolutely, that's what we aim for. This week, less than last. Lord, I want to sin less. But one of the important pieces of this is that I am increasingly sensitive to it. This is why the, the mature Christian thinks about sin more. It's because all of a sudden, as you walk in the light, you begin to see things and say, oh, that's, that's not consistent with who God is. That's, that's completely out of line with what his word has called me to. I need to go after that too. And I can attest, God will lovingly uh, give you that assignment. And, and, and then he'll, he'll say, okay, there's some ground we've gained. Now, let me show you this. Oh, wow. That is good. That's his grace at work, his word, his spirit. So an increasing sensitivity to and then hatred of sin. That's why I asked a few weeks ago, Christian, do you hate your sin? We should long to hate sin as much as God hates sin. And He hates sin a lot. If you doubt that, just look at the cross. Look at the wrath that Jesus drank. 
That's what sinners deserve. Help me hate it more, Lord. Help me spot it. I want to be sensitive to it. Holy Spirit, convict me freely. Open my eyes. Oh, when a word comes out that's not building or edifying or that's not patient or, or sensitive, just instantly slam me with conviction. That's not condemnation. That's conviction. And it's good. It should define your life, Christian. Every day, embrace it. Pray for it. Now, our hope in the fight of our lives. Our hope in the fight of our lives. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Is that the lament of an unbeliever? I don't think so. I don't think so. Most unbelievers will never call themselves wretched. In fact, there was a group that wanted to change amazing grace and remove the, the word that saved a wretch like me. That's a bad sign. You know what I'm saying? Wretched man that I was. Wretched man that I am. You see, these are the realities. Simul ustus et peccator. That's what Luther taught. At the same time, righteous and sinner. Both are true of us. We are saint and sinner today. And until the Lord returns or upon your death, that will be the case. All the way there. You will never move past that reality. You disagree with John Wesley, the higher life, the holiness thing, the idea of sinless perfection. It's Utterly unscriptural. Hmm. Wretched man that I am. He wrote this 20 years into his ministry. He's grieving over his sin. He's torn up by his, his offenses against the Lord and how he has failed, though he desires to obey. Who will deliver me from this body of corruption, this, this flesh, as it were? It's a cry of holy discontentedness. Do you cry this way? Do you regularly, Christian, get overwhelmed with a holy discontent that you are not where you want to be in the Christian life? You should. We all should. More, we should. That's not condemnation. That's not living as a defeated Christian. That is tenacious, tenacious grace at work in your life. The gift of God. Now there is a godly discontent and then there is a sinful discontentedness. We're going to be looking at that at the men's event. This is righteous discontent. And it should define our lives. It's one of the reasons that, that would propel us to greater obedience and faithfulness to God and joy in the gospel. Frustrated by the battle and longing for final deliverance. That's what this is. I, I know I'm not there yet. 
We, we haven't arrived. <laughs> I was joking about this the other day. If you ever meet someone who says they, they've attained that point of sinless perfection, what's weird about that is they tend to be very difficult to be around. Um, it's an illusion. And it tends to be pride on steroids. No Christian in this life will ever reach a point that he doesn't feel this. And you shouldn't either. Ever. Not on this side of glory or until he returns. This is the Christian life. This is mature, victorious Christian living. And it's ours to swing the sword, to fight in the power of the Spirit, to go after sin with a holy discontent. Make me holy, O oh God. Make me holy. Here's the answer, though. This is why I believe that Paul is speaking of himself currently as a believer and representing all of us who trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he writes to the believers. That's who's going to deliver us from this, this body of death and corruption. Thanks be to God. There's an already not yet here that functions. We've got to remember there's so much of that. Book of Revelation is filled with it. Jesus Christ has already delivered us by faith when we trusted Him as Savior and Lord. We were forgiven. We were set free, right? To serve and bend the knee before Him as Lord. And He is today delivering us, right? Progressively so as He sanctifies us. But someday, there will be ultimate deliverance and that is certain. It is coming, Christian. That is what I think Paul is longing for here. Can't wait until I can say, there's no more sin in my life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. It's one of the greatest joys of heaven is knowing the battle. We made it. There's no more fight with me. Finished. I'm going to give you a little glimpse of where we're going. Confidence that we have in this finish. For those whom the Father foreknew, that is, set His covenant love upon. Not knew about, but He chose. For those whom He foreknew, he's, He set covenant love upon. He also predestined. But look at what He predestined us to. To be conformed to the image of His Son. That's holiness, friend. That is what we have been assigned an eternal destiny to. It's coming in fullness. We have it in part. It's coming in fullness. In order that He might be firstborn among many brothers and those whom He predestined, He also called. Called to life. Right? He called us to live in Christ. That's past tense for those who are trusting Christ. It may happen to you if you're here today and you've yet to trust Jesus as Savior. That may happen at the very end of this sermon. He might call you to live in Christ and repent of your sins. But look at this. Look at this flow. Those whom He called, He justified. Instantaneously. It happens in the very moment of your salvation. And those whom He justified. All those whom He justified, He also glorified. Paul knows this. It is a certain future and it's coming. 
And he's groaning for it, longing for it. Oh, come Lord Jesus, come. Bring the glory and the fullness of the finish to this battle. Until he comes, look at how he closes Romans 7. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What's he saying? Why would he put that as the last verse? Don't you think? Don't you think that, that he should have stopped before he said that? Why put that last? Because the battle rages on. Paul knows that. It's not over yet. It's still going. And it's the very next verse that is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You see why that matters so much? You have this backdrop of war and battle against the flesh, fighting to obey, delighting in the gospel, and here comes Romans 8. Like fuel for the fire of our faith. Stuart Scott said, Romans 7, 14 through 25 is the experience of the normal Christian life. It is a life of intense conflict with sin, not rest from it. It's a life of agonizing dismay and imperfection, not claimed victory over sin. It's not like final victory has, has been achieved yet. It is a life of earnest longing for glory, not a satisfaction of having arrived. So, our response this morning, a few things. Are you in the battle? That has to be asked. It is dangerously possible with some of the church movements, even in our county, that are all about affirming people. Oh, you're such a good person. Everything, Jesus is like a genie. You just rub that lamp, He'll just bless you. You just employ his services and he's going to give you everything you ever wanted and you can walk in and not even realize the christian life is about war war against yourself fighting against the sin that lingers are you in the battle one of the greatest attacks most successful attacks of satan is to tell you there is no fight you're not at war oh man how dangerous that is it's dangerous for you, it's dangerous for your church, it's dangerous for those that you love. Christian, you are called to war. This is a call to arms today. Go to war with yourself. Go to war with sin in your life. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you turned from your sin? I mean, that's where the battle begins, right? When you realize that there is hope there is an opportunity to overcome, to truly change, to be transformed. That happens in Jesus alone. He is the only hope in this battle. Question number two. Are you battle weary? Are you battle weary? There are moments in the Christian life, even seasons, where it's just, you feel like Paul here. Good grief. Are you kidding me? I thought by now that I would be past that. What in the world? Come on, Jeremy. That's not you anymore. That's the old man. You ever get discouraged in the battle of sanctification? Be encouraged 
Be encouraged. That means God is at work. If you see your sin and you are bothered more by it now than ever, it's His goodness and grace. It's His Word opening your eyes. His Spirit convicting you of sin. Praise God, there's a place to go with that. Run to the cross. Run to the cross. Don't just sit there and be condemned. Don't don't sit under that as if there's nowhere to go. Jesus has made provision for all of your sin. Run it to the cross. Lay it down. Repent of it and ask for His help. Get the fire of God's Word burning bright in your heart. The Spirit of God in prayer. Pray, I want to kill this sin in my life. And then go to war. Go to war. And here's the thing. You're not alone. Look at this. This is an army of freedom fighters. We can help one another, encourage one another, hold each other accountable, learn together, study together, pray together. Battle for righteousness and holiness. Remember this. We are recipients of God's grace. (laughs) It's a humbling thing. But we're also called to be those who are defined by that grace. There's no one in this room that is perfect. Which means that the people in this room, your family, this church, they're going to be people who sin. (laughs) And you're going to need to show them the same grace that you've received from God. It doesn't mean we're sweeping sin under the floor, right? We even studied church discipline this past week in our Revelation study. It means we love, we show grace, and we encourage people who are struggling. And we can be honest and vulnerable and open. I'm having a hard time. I need help. Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? Would you hold me accountable? Do that. It's grace-enabled sanctification. Listen to Paul in Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, Paul says. I'm not perfect. Far from it. I press on to make it my own. That is the righteousness of Christ because Jesus has, past tense, has already made me His own. This is a Christian man who's acknowledging I am a work in progress. I'm not there yet. Brothers, I don't consider the... that, that, I, uh, uh, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, that's the condemnation piece, right? And straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says this. This is how mature Christians talk. This is, this is what it sounds like to be maturing in the Christian life. Let those who are mature think this way. Let's pray. Oh God, we delight in You and the bar of perfection that You have established in the gift of Your Word. Your righteousness, Lord, is set on display in creation, but with great clarity through Your Spirit in Your Word. We love Your law. We delight in it as those who have found great spoil. We seek to be those defined by by meditating upon it, memorizing it, delighting to obey it. Lord, We love your law. Help us love it more. Help us to be those with with Bibles open during the week, not just on Sunday. 
Make us like the psalmist who wrote Psalm 119. We pray, enlarge our heart to know Your testimonies and to obey them. And Lord, as You do that, put the targets on sin in our lives. Trace them out. Show us where we need to go to work. Go to war. Help us to be vigilant and, and even violent as, as necessary. As Paul would say, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Lord, help us to do what is necessary. That is, not mutilation, but serious attack on the sin in our lives. We take very seriously the gift that you have given us in your grace. We do not cheapen it. We do not excuse our sins or, or seek to walk with, with a blind eye to the lingering sin in our lives. We want to be depending upon You and at war with sin. Love, we want that. Joy, oh Lord, we love that joy that You give. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Make these true of us, oh God. More this week than last. And all for Your glory. Father, give us the encouragement to fight this battle all the way to the end. And then, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. We can't wait until sin is a distant memory. For Your glory, until that day we battle on. In Jesus' name, Amen.